Welcome back to another episode of Things My Friends Know. I'm your host, Lisa Lindenfelser, and I'm here to talk with my friends about their passions. In today's episode, we chat with Ryan A. and Ryan S. about how the interconnectedness of technology is influencing the future of our lives through cryptocurrency and more. Well, hello and welcome. And we're here today with Ryan and Ryan. Definitely not confusing for our users and our listeners at all. But um, I think we're going to call Ryan Schroeder Schroeder just to make it easier to differentiate between Ryan A and Ryan S. So welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yes. Both of your episodes have garnered a lot of attention and interest because our listeners were really excited about listening to things that they maybe didn't know very much about and kind of got to dig into a little bit more. So I'm really excited to have the minds coming together to talk about the tech world. Hopefully it's not too dangerous. (laughs) I I think you picked the, the, the right people. And we'll do it justice. Yeah, we'll we'll double double the uh, the subscribers or whatever yeah. the, the downloads. <laughs> Perfect. That's a, that's all I need in life. Me uh, stuck with three tech nerds, so this is this is going to be great. <laughs> So um, before we get too far into it, one of the things that you guys have both talked a lot about is this idea of the Internet of Things or IOT, if you like acronyms and all that shit. So why don't we start there? Like, what is Internet of Things and why should people really care about it? Yeah, so I think like the, the way I look at um, IOT or Internet of Things in general is just the overall connectedness of life um, and things like... Like the, the one thing that always comes to mind um, on IoT is like your smart refrigerator or your like your smart home device. And I know it's like so much more than that. I was reading this morning about like Internet of medical t- uh, technology um, and there's a whole sphere of that. And so mm-hmm. I think to, to summarize it, it's really like the connectedness of all of the things that we as humans interact with on a regular basis from an internet perspective, um, and just tying them all together. Yeah. And, and, you know, that what the, the data piece is, is what gets me on the internet of things is you have a device. It could be just as simple as a Roomba Mm -hmm. little robot that sucks dust off your floor, or it could be as complex as, you know, your, your watch that's tracking some, some pretty decent medical data on you. Um, and but it's sending the data somewhere, and and you're able to either control it, um, or you're able to uh, interact with the data somehow, and and be able to just there. There's a lot of potential in how you can aggregate all that data to do certain things or figure out things. The medical piece is what's exciting to me around that. Is you know if you think about how doctors kind of take your word for it when you're describing your symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about the future state when you have a lot of sensors that that are pretty intrusive to your daily life, but yet they're collecting all this accurate information and your doctor can just kind of pull up your stats, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a performance monitor of your body and say, oh, well, look at this, you know, and and they don't have to ask you how you're feeling with the smiley faces and are you an eight (laughs) and, you know, that type of stuff. They can look and say, well, damn, you, your oxygen level sucks. You know, are you feeling okay when you exercise? You know, and, and that's the type of stuff that's exciting to me. But you can share that being able to share the data on a regular basis. There's just a lot of privacy that because this is kind of a new direction mm-hmm. that not a lot of people pay attention to the privacy aspect of it. So what you're advocating for then, Ryan, is that we get microchips put in our body nope. as part of the COVID vaccine. <laughs> well, <laughs> Isn't that part of the conspiracy theories to begin with? I know. But I mean, I think it's really interesting because I think you're probably more talking about something like a Fitbit watch or an Apple watch where like it is tracking your heart rate and like different things. And, you know, I even read an article once that like someone knew that they needed to go to the doctor because their Fitbit watch or whatever tech they were using, like indicated to them that there was something really bad happening with like their heart rate or whatever it is that it tracks. So you're basically just saying that through the devices that we're already using to track 
try to give ourselves better data about our exercise and our activity is going to eventually become a part of our medical doctor yeah, appointments. It, it's an example of IoT type type of stuff. I mean, there's there's lots of sensors out there in the medical field that mm-hmm. that you know could work together better and and be able to feed your health record. Your now that all health records are pretty much electronic now. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they could really start to integrate that better to where you know my phone is constantly sending data to my doctor if I want it to mm-hmm. and being able to opt into that um you know if you're going through a health issue to me that's important information you know and and instead of going out and well we'll test this one specific snapshot in time of you in the hospital right. going through this stress test or whatever yeah, EKG or um, whatever yeah yeah but it's it's literally a slice of a second in time based mm-hmm. on you know the last three months of me feeling like crap you know I can send you the last three months of data and yeah. hey I feel like crap in the morning and here is 30 days of morning data that that you can look at and and scan through but obviously there's a there's a way to just go before we get to that point in my mind and I mean, there's yeah, a I ton think... of different like medical things that we already use today, like artificial things like pacemakers, like mm. awesome yep. example. You can monitor your heart as well as anticipate when that pacemaker might be failing. So there's right. a lot of things that we already have today that we just need sensors for to be able to track that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, w- I was going to, I think the proactivity for me is, is like the one of the biggest pieces is for like I, I have an apple watch and being able to monitor they have like that fall detection now too so if you fall and they can send an alert and that proactivity and then you also touched on um ryan the like difficulty doing on the spot like i can't replicate this when i'm at the doctor's office this is like sort of unrelated but kind of related um, i was talking with someone at work uh who with her dog um the dog was having seizures and they were trying to figure out like how to monitor that and she would take her to the vet but the, she wasn't having the seizure right. at the vet and so being able to like have that stuff um monitored so that you can look at it retroactively or even proactively say like hey you need to go in and do something about this i think brings more of that to the fr- forefront of everyone's mind rather than trying to like time doctor visits mm. at the right time to show yeah, the, um, I, I have bad asthma, and it's been getting worse over the years. And I was really excited when Apple Watch had the oxygen sensor in this last version. And so I've been using that data proactively with my doctor, and we've been able, she's been able to actually look at the data and adjust my medicine level. And I'm my wow. blood oxygen has gone from like below 90, which is not great, um, back up to uh, above 95 on average. And it, it was all because I had, you know, 10 points a time each day that I had my oxygen sensor basically taking my uh, my wow. blood oxygen content. So, I, you know, those are great examples of, of some of the proactiveness. But there's also, you know, a lot of hype around just throwing Wi-Fi in, in like your your mop you know why do why does Bissell need my mop right right, on wi-fi and you know they may be collecting some performance data on the device which Mm -hmm. you know could be good you know uh, but you know i i don't know what else you would do with a mop data right right I'm sure it's listening to you to recommend things to buy on Amazon. I mean, let's be real. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the slippery slope that, that I think gets, gets kind of shady. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, not being a big, huge fan of how Facebook and Amazon use your data to, yeah. to, to mine for better products and things like that. But it, it's, I, I like kind of where Apple is going with, with some of their privacy concerns and just making you aware you can opt in and give away your data for that free thing, but you know we want to make you aware that they're collecting it, right? Versus in the past, it wasn't as in your face that you know Google was capturing all this stuff, and that's why you know when you talk about something, it just magically appears in your Facebook feed. <laughs> <laughs> I do love how people get creative on the round too, like outside of the businesses. Our friend um, Tom from work. He's all about the Internet of Things, and he's got all these sensors that he's putting around his house, and he's showing me one at work one day. He's like, check this out. I get this this reading from my sump pump because I almost had a flood recently. So every time, like he found out the longest amount of time it should take for his sump pump to go off, and it has like a motion sensor on it. So he's like, if it goes four hours, and I, 
it notices that it hadn't gone off, it'll send them an alert. And I was like, that's awesome. But you're at work right now. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I, I was with Tom on that, that whole smart house effort when smart things and everything else. And, you know, when I, when I, started putting a lot of the the attention on the solar i wanted to manage the electricity and i think i talked about it last time but um there there's i, I moved away from smart things into this product called casa i think it's tp link um stuff but being able to adjust power and have that kill switch on you know whenever i lose power mm-hmm. and say okay only essential devices and and i just tell alexa you know go in go into uh uh, kill mode and it it cuts everything down is it's it's pretty powerful to be able to do that but connecting to the internet check your wi-fi uh yeah sorry <laughs> there she I, is I said, I said the magic a word <laughs> yeah apologize everything goes down <laughs> all power shuts off <laughs> I mean, I think you guys have done a good job of kind of explaining that the Internet of Things offers a lot of benefits to us in terms of the E-word efficiency, um, that you can have these simple commands that control all of the different elements of your life that you probably didn't have information on before, like the sump pump, for example. Um, And I think that you've also done a good job also touching on like some of the reasons that people are nervous about the Internet of Things and nervous about sharing all of this personal data about them as well. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about everything, honestly, about the COVID vaccine, about our government, about anything that you can think of. So when you guys think of people who are really nervous about this, like, idea of Internet of Things, like, what what would you tell them? Like, what would be your thoughts? I think for me, first, I, I think the concerns are totally valid. I think, we're like, we touched on um, before, like, there are very shady people in companies and there are very shady companies and that is a totally valid thing and Mm -hmm. a lot of people get very weary around the very real thing of saying a product and then five minutes later that showing up on amazon on facebook on google all those kind of things so i think like i i don't know that i would say anything to for me personally to like discredit that because i think it's a totally valid thing and i think a lot of these companies have a lot to to figure out to to better that mm-hmm. um but i do think like when we talk about the real benefits that we, we were touched on with health and just like overall convenience mm-hmm. there is a really big upside to it as well um as long as you, the company uh is doing the right thing essentially so putting it in your face like apple or trying to to make it more like behind the scenes or, or whatever that may mean for that company um I think those issues have to be addressed before mass adoption, I guess. Yeah. And, and being a part of a lot of cybersecurity efforts um, in general, you know, if you, if you look at, if you Google the Verkata just recently and over the last week, um, you know, they, they have an internet of things camera system, which basically is, is surveillance cameras and it's a cloud DVR and you log into this website and you can view all your cameras and so on and so forth. But their, their global super admin user password got leaked and, and they had really sketchy security. And so some hackers got in using that super global admin password and they viewed cameras for all their customers. And they were slowly releasing, you know, video from like Tesla in Shanghai or this hospital or this prison and everybody that had used that service. But, you know, even companies like that, you know, the the age of hacking for profit or hacking for ethical reasons Mm -hmm. and exposing some of these things is, is it's something that you have to be concerned about because these companies they collect your data yeah. and they may not have the best security practices in the world. And if something happens like that, you know, you could be exposed. You could have, right. you know, your identity stuff that the important pieces to unlock your identity exposed in some fashion. Um, and so those are the things that, that, that are a concern and you should, people should be aware what companies have your data, because if you hear about it in the news, you can, you know, um, monitor it and make sure that nothing happens. But Mm -hmm. it's just, it's more common today because there's a lot of money to be made in some cases on either holding your company data for ransom or, you know, being able to go in and, and, uh, 
you know, expose a breach of, of some sort, on, especially on the big companies like Microsoft. Yep. You know, everybody wants to take down the big dogs. And <laughs> and uh, so it's it's always interesting to see who's going after what. But in, on the on the flip side, you know, security is getting smarter. Uh, you know, I, I believe at some point in the next 10 years that, that we'll be able to stay ahead of some of the hackers and mm. make things more safe so that the Internet of Things can continue to blossom and whatnot. Yeah. But, um, you know, they're, they're, the hackers are going to be just as agile and developing <laughs> new ways to do it as well. So you think AI security, artificial intelligence security is going to be this thing for prevention, but the cyber attacker, you know, the hackers are going to be like AI hacking tools, you know, to combat the AI security tools. And then you got this <laughs> anime duel, you know, and all this other stuff <laughs> happening that's all ai based but anyway yeah there's um there, i know there's a lot of companies out there now paying companies or people to try to hack them um to expose some of their flaws um which i think is a, a great method as well to, to employ and basically pay people to test out their security and figure out what are the things that they need to do better i was uh watching a video for one of the Google data centers. And they said, I think it was like monthly or quarterly, they pay a third party company to try to break in. Um, wow. And they go through like the whole process. And it, they were talking about like, they had six different layers to the to the data center um, of security. And they just try to break as much as it, of, of it as they can. And so constantly, to your point, like trying to outsmart the people who are coming after you. That's crazy. Yeah, and, and the one thing I'll, I'll say is a lot in some of the cases, and in many of the cases actually that that we read about online, it's a person that screwed up, mm -hmm. and they gave out something that they shouldn't have, and you know they clicked on a link that they shouldn't have, which exposed their machine, which had their credentials saved that were yeah. super admin on something, um, and and you know companies that are collecting data on people have to get smarter about how they, you know, just do security in general and how they protect and, and wall off somebody's normal email versus an admin console that they're doing some administrative work on right. and, and, and has access to that important information that they don't want hackers to steal. But in a lot of cases, the same thing applies to you on your phone. You know, you just click a link that you think is legit and poof, you've exposed yourself and all potentially all your passwords, yep. and credit card information, things like that. So it's 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 really as technology continues to infiltrate every minute of everybody's lives, you know, so does the risk of yep. having to protect yourself and be just conscious of what you're clicking on and what you're looking at on the Internet, because not everything's legal, legit and, and some of it's pretty sketchy in some cases. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like kind of what you guys are saying is that as we get farther and farther into the internet of things being more of a reality, um, we need to be smarter as individual users of the different technologies that we use to be aware of what we should look out to or look out for rather. Um, and it's like funny because I think that in the corporate world, cybersecurity training gets a really bad rap. Like people hate taking it. It's like, yeah, like don't click on a link that says scammer.com when you scroll over it or like, you know, like read who the email is from. Like it's not from the CEO. It's a fake email address. Um, and it's just so funny because people hate taking it, but it's, you know, it's 90% avoidable if the users know what they're doing, know what they're clicking on, know what they're paying attention to. Well, and it applies to personal life too. I mean, yeah. it, it, just because you're taking the cyber training at work, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't follow the same things right. on your personal stuff. It, it's like, it, you know, it, maybe some companies can do a better job at at at, at highlighting that. That mm -hmm. you know, this is this isn't just for a company. This is for your life. You know, yes. you, you maybe they should teach it in elementary school from now on, right? <laughs> that it's part of your <laughs> curriculum, and and cybersecurity is just like typing one hundred and one used to be for yes. for some of us old folks. I took a typing yeah. class. I'm not old. Paired in with home ec. <laughs> I took a typing class. Yeah, I think um, it it's getting so so advanced too, which I think is the hard part. And I know we all, like I always think about my grandparents um, and how easy it is for them to just see a link on Facebook mm -hmm. that their friend posted. And yeah. I've seen all of these things now um, of people's accounts getting hacked and then duplicated and then they're sending friend requests to other people and 
I can look at those and say like, I'm already friends with this person. Something is, is off, but for someone who might not have grown up with this, which are probably the, the, the folks who might be at the greatest risk, like it's getting so advanced now to, and, and harder to, to catch, um, mm-hmm. which is scary in and of itself. And there, I think there's been like one or two times that I even have seen something come through and I'm like, I think this seems legit. Like this seems like a real link that someone has sent me or a real initiative. And then you, you do a double take and it's like, okay, probably not better safe than sorry, but it's, it's scary. Um, because there is so much at stake. My, like I, my life is on my phone as I'm sure everyone on this call is. And it's scary to think of how easily one thing could go wrong and they'd have everything fine. Yeah, I, I, some of the things that that come to mind moving forward is it seems like you have to assume that your information has already been hacked and is on the dark web. Yep. Right. And and you know and and instead of trying to prevent it from happening because that takes a lot of energy and sometimes money, it you you just have to monitor and and you know try to just make sure that a your bank account isn't getting drained or or <laughs> you know and and just in those cases. You know, there, it's a different mindset to switch from, you know, trying to prevent something from happening to just working as if it's already happened and mm-hmm. just playing the proactive role yep. and just saying, you know, I yep. just I need to be diligent about everything, my identity, you know, and I, I don't know of a lot of uh, identity services online and how, you know, good or bad they are. But, you know, it's something that, that I've been monitoring for my family because the family doesn't have the background that I have. Right. In, in technology and, and knows the risks and has seen the gory details of a breach. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're clicking on stuff every day that, you know, could be <laughs> sketchy and, you know, because they're they're just cruising and, and doing stuff that seems, seems fun or interesting on the internet. So, yeah, I mean, I think also like one of the things that I catch myself doing is really thinking about what the worst case scenario is if, if my data would be, like provided to other people. Like for example, I use my fitness pal to track my calories, to track my weight. Um, and if somebody had my personal like calorie intake and weight data, like, I don't really think that that's going to like ruin my life. But at the same time, you have to think is the login information that I'm using for my fitness pal, the same as any of my other accounts, because then that opens the doors to more risk, uh, in terms of other more important data, um, being shared in places that I wouldn't want it to be shared. So it's it's almost like we need to train our brains to think that way. Like, um, do I have a different login? Is this data really important to who I am as a person? Like, does it introduce risk? Like, it's almost like we need to be on the defensive all the time. I think that's the right word, defensive, right? Sports ball is hard. Proactive, something. <laughs> I, I think it is on offense, but My yeah. bad. <laughs> but I mean, it's a great point in the sense of like, we're not just waiting for some big news article to say, hey, all users for using this service, Google or whatever it is, we got hacked. Mm-hmm. Check yourself out. People are hacking people individually constantly. Right. If you yep. haven't changed your Netflix account password in 10 years, go ahead and look at your history because there's websites <laughs> yeah. out there that just have names and passwords and they're not necessarily trying to get you out of your, your account. They're just trying to use it, whether it's, you know, buy McDonald's on your credit card or watch Netflix on your account. So. You have to be well, watching. Yeah, and and that you know that's why you know I think some of the things like the the um, blockchain type technology for authentication, true authentication, to say I am who I say I am mm-hmm. because I have this thing that says I am, and it cannot be duplicated. You know, it, it's it just the encryption is so crazy that hackers would take millions of years to figure it. <laughs> you know, to be able to to replicate it. You know, I I. I I see a day when that is more normal where, you know, mm-hmm. people, it, it, the phone is kind of going in that direction where you're using your phone as an authentication mechanism. Yep. My phone is who I am. And if I have said phone, then it is me and, yep. and being able to do that on, you know, your bank accounts and pay for stuff and, and whatnot. But I, you know, you talk about the chip that you swallow and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, um, you got sensor data. It, it, it could get to that point where there's some kind of unbreakable crypto thing that's associated with you that is it's it's better than a passport. It's better than a driver's license. You yeah. don't have to do all that stuff anymore. And it's truly authenticating you as a person versus, you know, all these if I if. 
if your birth date from your Fitbit is hacked and then your address is free on the internet yeah. and your mom's maiden name and all this other stuff is posted on these other sites, I mean, those are all what? Those are questions to answer security questions or yeah. they're, you know, some of the information for credit, you know, and, and somebody could fill out a form in your name. Those, those we, we just have to get better and evolve the security aspect of what we use to identify ourselves yeah. and, and, you know, hopefully it's not a chip in the arm, but you know, you never know. <laughs> that sounds um, amazing. I'm, I'm all for that. Cause I think one, the thing that always comes to mind is we talk about internet of things being from like an efficiency standpoint, mm-hmm. but it basically everything that we just talked about is like counter, counterproductive to that. Cause I have to think <laughs> about what password I use for this. I have to think about what like answer I put for this. And it's just yeah. like, it's mentally draining. Um, so I think if there if there can be some way to to streamline that as much as possible, I think it would be incredibly helpful. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention too is on the security questions. I was watching a just a, like a YouTube influencer um, video the other day, and they were talking about how they have to lie on all of those questions because oh, wow. they talk about themselves on the on the on the internet of saying this is my mom, this is her name, or this is like, this is where I went to school and they show that and then they get to those security questions and then they have to lie about all of it. And so that adds another layer of like, which one did I lie about? Did I add the right one in there? And it's it's a lot. I I mean, I... I definitely think about like that multi-factor authentication, which I know is a complicated phrase, but um, you guys were really talking about that earlier where you have to authenticate who you are in multiple places and multiple ways before you can access your information or even like just thinking about like I have the Google Pixel, that's my phone, um, go non-Apple, um, and I use my fingerprint to log into my phone. Um, I don't really, I mean, I have a pin that I can use to log in, but I only use that when I have to. So it's really interesting to think about how we can use information that only we have on our physical person to authenticate who we are as one of our security measures to protect our data. It's interesting to think about that route. Biometrics. where, Where we're going with the, like, so not to dive into cryptocurrency too much, but like those hardware wallets, um, that are out there that protect that cryptocurrency there's there's several layers of of it's it's basically a hardware device that mm-hmm. has um a unique id that that's really hard to replicate and and to get it back you have to have these like tons of passphrases either documented somewhere or remembered somewhere but anyways it's 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 much like that type of technology that that could continue to evolve maybe it gets embedded in your phone or your devices in some at some point mm-hmm. that authenticates you in more secure ways and it's not something that you can hack it's it's not something that maybe it's easier to transfer when you swap phones but the process to swap phones is more secure or something mm. along those lines yeah. that that again it, it gives you a token a hardware piece that identifies you of i am who i say i am and you cannot impersonate me because it's it's just almost impossible at that point yeah um you know speaking of which i know someone very close to me who owns some bitcoin since you mentioned (laughs) cryptocurrency but the the key that they have that allows them to actually like sell or utilize the bitcoin is in a place that they can't currently access it and so it kind of sucks because that person bought in with bitcoin when it was very very cheap and now what is it at like fifty thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars i don't even know but um it's just like fascinating that like having the actual key itself to be able to access the information because it's not physically available to them prevents them from being able to use it at all. Yep. And that, you know, it obviously that's that's a problem with that with that approach. <laughs> um, but it, it could be, you know, there there's some there's some merit to that, right? Yeah, that, yeah. you know, a hacker can't go steal that Bitcoin now because they don't have that device. And that device is what's tied to that 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 account right and and so there's there's probably some ways down the road that that it could improve and evolve and make it easier but still be secure as hell um and and you could potentially use that to apply for loans at banks or or whatever you know whatever the the market looks like for money 
10 years from now. <laughs> and I mean, I remember, um, Pablo, you telling me the story that there was a guy who owned millions of dollars of Bitcoin, but um, he lost his key to the to the Bitcoin. And so you only have so many tries before the Bitcoin just disappears because you've entered in the wrong key so many times. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, the the like wallets normally have like, I don't know, 12 five letter words. So yeah. have fun trying to figure that out. But I, I don't know <laughs> what the percentage is, but I think it's like 25 or almost 50% of Bitcoin will never be retrieved just because, because of that one guy, not that one guy necessarily oh. could be but just he's not the only one that bought into it and then lost his key. Wow. That's crazy. That's amazing. That is that's heartbreaking <laughs> at, the, at the valuation is that now <laughs> yeah so i mean I, we've been talking about cryptocurrency i don't want to assume all of our listeners know what that is so um let's talk about that a little bit um schroeder do you want to kind of try to explain what cryptocurrency is just in general cool um crypto i'm gonna butcher it so i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> let ryan austin talk about it because i i'm fascinated by cryptocurrency um and i follow the valuation on my Robinhood app. Um, but And I've read so many articles about it. I am not at a point where I can explain it to to uh, to anyone else. Well, it's virtual <laughs> currency, right? So like, <laughs> when you think about real, not real, but like physical money, it's based on this idea that gold is very valuable. And depending on how much gold you have, that represents what a dollar means and what a $20 bill means. So, um, you know, right. like dollar bills have always been kind of just like a representation of worth. But it sounds like with cryptocurrency and Ryan A, I'll let you kind of explain is just all about virtual currency well it's it's still an asset and what so it, it it is like gold at a certain explanation because there's only 21 million bitcoins that can be mined um as as a part of bitcoin so there are only it's it's not infinite you can't it's not like the 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 uh, federal reserve can just print more dollar bills whenever we need more dollar bills well, right they do <laughs> well right but that's that's the difference in, in bitcoin it's a lot like gold or or, or diamonds there's only so much available mm. and so you you trade in you know in in some kind uh bitcoin is like you can have a full bitcoin you can own like one hundredth of a tenth of a bitcoin um but there's still a cash value there mm -hmm. and but but again it's 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 an authenticated piece of 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 a asset bitcoin is an asset and mm -hmm. it's worth something and so it, it again it's like having a piece of gold and the price of gold goes up and down depending on you know the a lot of um, complicated things that I don't fully understand <laughs> um, but it but it's very much like that and so you know it's if you think of a piece of software that is a Bitcoin and you own a piece of it mm -hmm. and there will never ever be more you can't just make more Bitcoin whenever right. you need it um, it there, there's only a finite amount that you can use that's what makes it valuable and so you know that's why the price keeps going up just like you know gold or some other assets that that tend to uh, become rare it in you know, 21 million items doesn't sound like a rare item but when you know when there's x amount of billions of people in the world not everybody can have one so again you know it, it whenever that the it controls inflation mm -hmm. um i was reading this the other day because like the fed they'll just make more money and, and pump it into the, the, the economy whenever they, they need it. But mm -hmm. the, the value of the US dollar goes down when they do that, right? Because it's it's you're you're changing what's out there and, and there's like inflation rates that go along with it that, that are tied to just printing more money and and so on. But with with something like Bitcoin, one, it's it's not centrally managed by any one entity. Mm -hmm. It's it's a uh, more of an autonomous type of, if you think about it as an autonomous, it's not a bank, but it's it's a centrally managed because all of the general ledger for accounting terms of Bitcoin is dispersed against thousands and, and millions of computers throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Not one owner of the general ledger of Bitcoin is out there that can manipulate it. And so again, it's it's one of those Oh man, I'm butchering this really bad. But no, you're it's, doing it's a great just, job. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's one of those things that um, 
if you think about a world economy that isn't controlled by any government, any bank, or any entity, and that it's really truly autonomous to the world, mm-hmm. um, and there's only so much of it that that is available, um, you can trade and exchange Bitcoin um, globally and have you know you all, everybody's on the same level playing field now with with a currency that is again it's not centrally managed it's not influenced by any government and and people can freely keep track of what they have in their bitcoin account but also you know what i pay for something in australia is the same exact you know value that i pay for in the us because it's it's just one price it's it's one valuation i mm-hmm. guess you could say that, yeah i mean there's there's a lot to unpack there yeah, I think a good way for people that don't understand crypto or crypto in general is just like cryptography is like a kind of mathematics to solve a problem. It's really intense. It was used. It's been used for hundreds of years. I mean, Alan Turing, who's like a godfather in technology, he used cryptography to build a machine to um, actually decode these machines that Germans were using to like plan their battles and stuff like that. So I just think of it as like this really big math problem. And so, like, as you said, it's not a bank. It's not like the company is going in and and validating your transaction when you pay someone. It's basically just this decentralized thing where if you have a machine, but basically if I was to sell Ryan A half a Bitcoin, that transaction still needs to be processed in the general ledger, which you would consider like a bank. And so people have these machines that process these, these math problems, which are basically the transactions. And then after you, uh, I don't know what the the um, process is, but basically, after a certain amount of transactions get um resolved by a single machine, Bitcoin gets released to that owner. So what I hear you saying is that if I'm not good at math, I probably won't ever own a Bitcoin. No, the math no. is all done in the machines. But <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say no one is doing the math properly. Yeah, but so basically, people buy these machines and they they run the ledger so that they can validate these transactions, which are like these crazy crypto code that has to be like resolved and basically you get bitcoin out of it for running those yeah, machines that, that's what the mining of bitcoin is or mining of cryptocurrency is is computer cpu and energy that and capacity that's dedicated to running these math problems it's it's basically trying to solve for another bitcoin is how you get another bitcoin in the market is mm. you have you have these solved types of math problems. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too far in the weeds because it could be that I've had a half a glass of champagne or whatever, <laughs> but you guys are already losing me. So I'm going to take us a little bit back for, for the noobs, for the non-nerds in the world. Um, I think what's really interesting about what you guys described, what I understood, um, since y'all are just basically talking another language at this point, is um, there's value in Bitcoin, because number one, there's a finite amount, just like gold. There's a finite amount in the world, I'm assuming. Um, And the other piece is it's valuable because we feel it's valuable. So if everyone refused to use Bitcoin, that doesn't make it more valuable. It has to actually be utilized by people to make it valuable. Um, And I, I think that's really fascinating because it requires like people to actually engage with this idea of virtual currency or cryptocurrency to make it worthwhile. Well, it's like gold or diamonds, you know, people at one time said this metal is valuable because it's rare. And then all of a sudden it had a value. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. So I know that there is a lot of concern from like a federal or even global bank perspective of this idea of virtual currency and cryptocurrency. Um, And it sounds like a lot of that concern has to do with control. If we all just decided that we were going to use virtual currency and not give a fuck about gold and diamonds and all of those things that we've already decided were valuable, then that stands to kind of crumble some of the societal pieces that we've built into a part of our lives, like a bank. Um, So is is that basically the major concern for why people hate cryptocurrency? Or is there other things that are going on behind the scenes that make people emotional about it? Well, I, I do think control has a big thing to play in it. Obviously, the IRS governments, you know, they, they if you have a distributed general ledger where I can give you money and you can give me money and it's autonomous or anonymous in, in a lot of cases, they can't tie it directly to you because mm. of how the general ledger is, is built. Um, 
you, you lose track of financial transactions control from a government or a bank perspective. And, and you know, if everybody, if there was a central ledger that nobody controlled, mm-hmm. what does banks, you know, what does banks do? What do banks <laughs> do at that point? You know, how do you lend money? How do you, how do you buy more Bitcoin from a bank and have the bank lend Bitcoin loans, you know, and you mm-hmm. pay back and Bitcoin, how does that change things? And, and I think the other part of it is people don't understand it. You know, it, not everybody's a, uh, uh, you know, into technology to understand this new, newfangled thing that exists <laughs> called Bitcoin, you know, and, and so they try to translate it to money and how currently money works with mm. banks and governments and all that taxes and everything else. And it, it's, it's, it could be slightly different. Yeah, I would have to imagine that, like, just the, the amount of foundation we have off of the dollar from a United States perspective has a lot of people worried. I think that ties into control as well. But just like mm. everything, the banks that we have, how we buy our houses, how we get like all of that, how we retire, all those processes. Yeah, all of those processes are built around what we've always had as currency. And so you enter this new thing. And I'm curious if any if uh, if that finite aspect is is of concern as well um, from a, like a scalability perspective, how we see it going into the future. Um, I don't know if that uh, plays a, a role at all, but I, I think there's there's valid concerns from a government perspective for this yeah i mean i definitely think that if there's not anybody who's monitoring like how things are being used and in what capacity that definitely lends itself to a a legal activity because there's no central oversight um so in some ways that could be pretty scary that's what i was actually going to bring up is i think one of the primary uses for bitcoin initially was um this i think it was called the silk road and it was basically just anything illegal you could think of you could go there, use Bitcoin to buy it or make it happen. And that's what was being used and perceived as what Bitcoin was being used for. So I think it, it kind of gets a bad rap because it went down that road so quickly. Mm. Um, so I wanted to throw out, I did a little bit of research. I'm not trying to poach your job here, Pablo. You're, uh, <laughs> no, let it rip. You're, but um, I think it would be interesting because I was curious in this. On We've talked about the 21 million total that of Bitcoin that are, are available. It's based off of this article. It sounds like 18.5 million have been mined. Oh, wow. So there's about 3 million left and no fact checking involved here. But one um, article said that estimates are around three to 4 million Bitcoin are lost forever um, wow. and will not be retrieved. So That's crazy. Thought I'd throw some stats out. Dang. They're crazy. It's craziness. It, it is crazy because like if you think about it, because there's 21 million was the cap and three to four million are gone forever. That means that the Bitcoin inherently is more valuable because you have a less of an opportunity Even to less. actually get it or use it. Right. Yeah. So if you, you know, is if the value continues to go up and it start does start to infiltrate currency that is current today. Um, you know, you may have one hundredth of a Bitcoin that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, but you know, the if yeah. a Bitcoin is worth a million dollars, you know, and and there's obviously scaling up to whatever our current economy is in the trillions or whatever, <laughs> you know, there, there's there's a lot of um, leeway to for me to screw up the math on that, but um, you know, y- you could be rich even though you only own one hundredth of a percent of a Bitcoin because it's worth so much money because yeah. it's so rare, you know, it, and, and I, one of the things that, you know, to build on what Ryan just said is that it may take 120 years to mine the last 3 million Bitcoins um, that are available because the, the math is so complex. Maybe I, I didn't read all the way through to understand why that was <laughs> the case, but um, it was a good uh, uh, clickbait. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that, the conversation that we've had around cryptocurrency especially could probably be really nerve wracking for some of our listeners to think about the dollar really becoming less valuable, that bank system that we've invested pretty much everything we do crumbling and ceasing to exist. So I think a question that I have for both of you guys, Ryan's smirking at me, um, you're always making the conversation like taking us... 
I was that's that's why I was laughing because you said the exact same thing in in my episode of wow this turned really dark and um, here we are again. But dark thoughts with Lisa. <laughs> I mean, there's positive things that come with crypto. That yes. was where I was going to get to. Is you know, I I don't want our listeners to leave feeling like the world around them is going to crumble, and I don't think that crypto is like the first thing that made us feel like our future was unstable. There are a lot of things in the history of the world for the past 100 years that have really made us feel nervous about where we're going in the future. So thinking about, you know, the Internet of Things, cryptocurrency, all of these things happening, like why does this make you hopeful and excited for the future? For me, I think it's it's innovation, I guess. And it to sum it up in one word, like I love technology. I talked about this in my episode as well, like because it's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly trying new things. And I think a lot of these things when it comes to Internet of Things and um, <clears throat> different cryptocurrencies, I guess just trying to see what other what other ways we could go about life. Do you need Wi-Fi in your mom? Do mm-hmm. you need a smart refrigerator? And testing out the waters of consumers. And then from a Bitcoin perspective, like that's taken off even in the last like couple of months with yeah. um all of the the huge valuations. But seeing what, what consumers adapt to. And I think that's the cool part no one said that just because we've done this thing for 300 years we have to do it for the next 300 years and and trying to see what uh what comes out of it i think is interesting love that what about you uh ryan a yeah i mean it's it's very similar to what ryan was saying it's it's about seeing where we're gonna go it's about seeing what comes of it and what the next evolution is um you know today we're talking about internet of things in crypto who knows what's next that leapfrogs off of these technologies and how they're applied and how you know what's built off of them i mean if you you think back when when horse carriages were a thing and Mm -hmm. you know you had the internal combustion engine coming Mm -hmm. along and cars were just starting you know i I imagine people were having very similar conversations in old english about you know the 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 advancement of these these self-propelled horseless carriages um it, it it's probably very similar to you know imagining what we can do with this type of innovation and what the new technologies will bring i mean you, you've got um 5g and, and increased wireless speeds that mm-hmm. then could be leveraged with all these connected things and and extremely power efficient that can run on battery type of things you know you could be seeing one thing that comes to mind is being able to to see weather patterns in more granular detail that could potentially save lives just because you know you're flooded with all these sensors around the world that that know to a pinpoint and 100 percent accuracy when something bad's going to happen and you can get people out of the way that are 100 miles away i mean there's just all sorts of possibilities out there i mean if you think about the advances in healthcare and and just e medical records, and you think back to two thousand six when everybody was still doing paper, and a lot of offices today are still doing paper right. um, medical records, but the advancement is is continuing, and at some point in the next ten years, those medical devices will feed into those electronic medical records, and you know your doctors are going to get smarter. Hell, maybe the, uh, the 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 medical industry will be more computer based where you know, that the doctor is having an output from this AI algorithm that's telling you what's wrong yeah. based, you know, with a, a thousand times more accuracy than a doctor just kind of guessing, you know, putting his right. thumb in the air and going, I think you got this, you know, <laughs> based on these symptoms. And, and it's like, no, 99% accuracy that you are suffering from this and you need to do these things because it's proven throughout the world. Um, mm-hmm. that this helps it. You know, those are the types of things that, that I think um, are, are the positives that I'm looking forward to. There's probably a million negatives that come along with that, that we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to, you know, do the math for um, and figure out. But, you know, as long as we keep pushing forward and, and thinking of new ideas, that's, that's the exciting part. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds like what you guys are saying is that we're always going to be hesitant of change, especially when it comes to these huge infrastructures that we're used to and grew up with and feel comfortable with. Like change is always going to make us feel uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that the future isn't bright or that good things aren't going to come out of that. It just means that we're in a transitional phase where that makes everybody nervous. (laughs) Yeah. 
exactly. I've, I've seen some things too where they've been working on putting in some kind of related things to Bitcoin into developing countries that um, rely on like the bartering system because they don't have banks or money the same way that we do mm-hmm. so that they can sell you a banana or whatever and say, okay, it's I'll sell it to you for this amount of whatever. And it's it's not tangible. You can't but, feel it, but you're basically building the economy because people can gather wealth in that kind of way as yeah. well. So it's it's big for those kind of places. We can use that infrastructure. Especially if your government is corrupt and just, you know, continuously shreds your economy with, you know, whatever's going on in, in a developing country and, and they keep rebooting the country every few years with the next, you know, power change. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you could get a stable economy or a stable currency that everybody is, you know, not paying $4 million for a loaf of bread because their local currency is inflation so right. high right. and they can just pay, you know, one millionth of a Bitcoin. Yeah, and, levels the and playing field. It, it, it does. It levels the playing field. And not to get on politics or anything, but <laughs> if, if you could if you could get the money out of politics in, in a lot of ways, imagine some of the change that could happen across all of the governments of the world when, you know, the, the influence of the cash isn't isn't potentially there and and being able to influence the the currency market as an example yeah it definitely has an opportunity to elevate um communities that have typically been put down or ostracized by the systems that we've created people of color um people who don't come from a background of having good money like it definitely allows them to really experience things and be more participative that's not a word part <laughs> <laughs> to participate more in the systems that we've created which is a really cool opportunity especially when we think of all of the oppression that's happened in the history of the world um so yeah yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot to be hopeful for. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Schroeder. I, I needed yeah. you to say that. <laughs> well, um, Ryan S. and Ryan A., I'm really thankful that you guys came on today and kind of helped us see into the world of technology and Internet of Things and cryptocurrency. I think this has been extremely fascinating and helped me really understand like where the world is going and what to look out for. So thank you guys so much for being on today. Of course. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, anytime. Anytime. Need some very cheery outro music. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, Pablo has us covered there. Well, <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Things My Friends Know. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.